Tshuva is not about a destination. It's not about accomplishing something, getting somewhere or reaching some goal. Living a life of tshuva means being in process. It means respecting the journey and the sometimes circuitous path that uh, we travel with ups and downs and all of life's uh, ins and outs and gutters and strikes and vicissitudes to become better, to become more of ourselves, to become closer to Hashem. And that's always baderech. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's always on the path. We're always on the way, not necessarily there, but, uh, but on the way to getting there. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. In preparation for Yom Kippur, I'm honored to present a discussion with my good friend Rabbi Judah Michel, who recently authored a very well-received book entitled Baderech, Along the Path of Tshuva. Rav Judah explains how the famous Hasidic sage, Rav Zusha of Anipal, offers a five-step system of repentance and return that is, in its own way, a prescription for living a meaningful, fulfilling, and happy Jewish life. First, let me remind you to please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Also, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. Just search for The Orthodox Conundrum, give it between zero and five stars, and write a sentence or two. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are available only to subscribers. You'll also be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, halakhically committed, and honest orthodoxy. So make sure you sign up to Patreon right away. It's just a few bucks a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining our team on Jewish Coffee House. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can help you start. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in a single day or record, relax, and let us do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work for you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and sign up for a free 30-minute consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. Rabbi Judah Michel is executive director of Camp Hask, the Hebrew Academy for Special Children. He is the mashpia of OUNCSY and founder of Tzama Nafshi. Rav Judah lives in Ramat Beit Shemesh with his wife Ora and their family. My friend, Rav Judah Michel, thank you very much for joining me once again on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about your wonderful book, Baderech, Along the Path of Tshuva. Let's open up, perhaps, by explaining the title. Can you tell me what you mean by on the path and why this is important, the concept of being on a path? Thank you. Um, I really like the title. I stand behind it. It's like it's, and it's growing on me. I know that sounds funny. But um, every time I see it, it gives me a chizik because it's, it's a reminder that tshuva is not about a destination. It's not about accomplishing something, getting somewhere or reaching some goal. Living a life of tshuva means being in process. It means respecting the journey 
and the sometimes circuitous path that uh, we travel with ups and downs and all of life's uh, ins and outs and gutters and strikes and vicissitudes to become better, to become more of ourselves, to become closer to Hashem. And that's always baderech. You know, that's, that's, that's always on the path. We're always on the way, not necessarily there, but, uh, but on the way to getting there. So that's the, uh, that's the general title. I like that. Why do you decide to write about tshuva of all the topics you could have written about? Why is tshuva the topic <laughs> that you chose as the key? There's a uh, contemporary uh, a contemporary master in social comedy who said that you know I didn't I didn't choose the gangster life but the gangster life uh, chose me so I, I kind of <laughs> feel that way about tshuva you know I didn't, I didn't necessarily choose to write a book about trying to get it together <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like the topic of tshuva kind of chose me I'm I'm in a, I'm in a constant state of uh, of wanting to start again and trying to get it together and thinking like okay now for real. Now for real, it's going to happen. Like, okay, you know, this time yeah. I'm serious, you know. Now I'm really going to do tshuva. It just, it, it's something I've been thinking about uh, for a long time. Um, specifically, the, the, the formula, which is the backbone of the book, is something I've been, I've been really trying to work, you know, work the steps, so to speak, uh, over the past few years. So it's just, it seemed natural to write about it. Also, like, I was too self-conscious to write a cookbook. That would have been good too. Yeah, I just, whatever. I'm not comfortable enough in my own skin yet to do that. But, uh, but I would like to do that one day. So you talk about the derech, the specific path that you describe. It's, uh, you bring it down the name of Rav Zusha, the very famous Rav Zusha. You mentioned this anecdote also, probably one of the most famous Hasidic anecdotes out there, when Rav Zusha on Vanipol, on his deathbed, he was crying, and the students asked him, why are you crying? And he said, because when I get to heaven, Hashem's not going to say, were you like Avraham? I have an easy answer. Of course I wasn't like Avraham. I'm not Avraham. Were you like Moshe Rabbeinu? Of course I'm not like Moshe Rabbeinu. You didn't make me like Moshe Rabbeinu. But when Hashem says to me, why weren't you like Rav Zusha? That's going to be hard to answer. So that's the derech, the path, the methodology that you present. You first say that there's a much higher level, so to speak, type of repentance expressed by the Magid of Metrich, who said that that is feeling the transcendence of God as part of your very nature. But Rav Zusha said, that's too hard. There's a five-pronged methodology which he offers, and you present that. That's the heart of the book. It's based on five psukim, the initials of which are tshuva. The five psukim are tamim tiyei Hashem alokecha, be completely perfect with Hashem your God. Shiviti Hashem lenegdi tamid, I place God before me always. Vehaftalarecha kamocha, love your neighbor as yourself. Becholdrachecha daehu, know him in all your ways. And hatsnea lechet im alokecha, walk humbly or modestly with your God. Can you actually go through these one by one and mention what the methodologies are? The book is very long. It's 500 pages long. There's a lot to be said beyond a brief synopsis, but perhaps you can explain each of these one by one. Can we start off with Tamim Tiyeh, Be Perfect? Yeah, for sure. But the, the, the book is long, but the chapters are short. No, that, that was a, 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 a... That's certainly true. No, there's a couple, there's a couple great chasadim uh, there, a couple great moments of, of grace and kindness for, for, for the universe, for the Jewish people who are reading this book. Is that uh, first of all, the chapters are like two, three pages each. They're like nugget sized, you know, for the contemporary uh, tension span, at least mine. And the stories, which are like the main thing here, because it's all about, you know, finding our own where our own story. You know, we, we talk a lot about narrative these days, um, cultivating our own narrative and our own tshuva story. Um, the stories are, are indented and in gray, so you can you can you can reference them easier. The stories really take a very central central uh, role here. You know what? In that case, for Judah, if you don't mind, before we even go into the specific methodology, I want to ask you about that because sure. this is not a philosophical textbook in the sense of a step by step building up a type of hashkafa per se. 
your method is much more based on stories and anecdotes along with the very important ideas that are there. So why did you use that methodology? Why was that your choice? Okay, thank you. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov uh, was famous for um, not just for his Torah and not just for uh, the, the, the very new and, and old path that he created, that he renewed. Rabbi Nachman is also very well respected and beloved for his stories. He said that the whole world tells stories. Um, God himself tells a story, Bereshit Bara Lukim. You and I have spoken about this before, you know, people who value um, stories. Um, Elie Wiesel used to say, uh, of blessed memory, would say that he, he identifies himself as a, as a witness, as a teacher, and a storyteller. That was how he saw himself in the world. Stories are a very powerful medium. Rabbi Nachman said that people tell stories, you know, at night to, to put uh, children to sleep. But I tell stories to, to wake up the world. Um, and the beginning of his of his of his collection of stories called Sipure Maasiot, um, it begins Baderech is the first word Baderech Siparti Maase, on the way on the road in the middle, while traveling while going in the middle from point A to point B, I told a story, and everybody who heard this story had Hirhure Tshuva had a had a, a thought had a, a thought of 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 wanting to be better wanting to draw closer, of self improvement. Um, Stories are, are are really powerful because they they I mean, allow us to externalize or verbalize um, or imagine certain feelings or emotions or ideas. Um, I, last time we, we we spoke on the conundrum, uh, we talked about Mister Rogers, right? It's like imagine Mister Rogers pup, as a puppeteer, externalizing the emotions and, and playing it out as a as a story. And, and when I see that story taking place, whether it's a movie or a TV show or I read a novel, you know, a nonfiction work, fiction work, you know, I, I see it taking place or I see it as a scene unfolding in the parking lot of a supermarket and I watch it and it's a story that's taking place unfolding and it's not me but somebody else. It awakens within me like elements that uh, that I can relate to that are that are sometimes much, much easier to process and, and seem a lot less um, threatening. And um, and sharp. So I I, I like telling stories uh, because I, I like evidently. Hearing stories. I, I also I like because I also like I like I like hearing stories. I like I like learning about people's lives and people's stories and um, and their experiences and their journeys and their ups and their downs. I find that to be you know very primi, very inside, very real. And you can sometimes learn a lot more from a person about you know where they've been and what they've gone through than than a theological download of their you know here's top ten ideas I want you to know about me. Um, here's ten things about my experience in my life that uh, that I've gone through that that will you know a lot of times open up a more intimate portrait. So I, I feel the same ways with stories of of tzaddikim and of and of regular people. You know, uh, it, it kind of opens up a little bit of a portal in ourselves of of who we want to be and who we might, you know, imagine ourselves to be. It gives us a, a non-threatening, more safe and accessible entry point to envisioning ourselves uh, a bigger version of ourselves. So I like stories. And that's one of the reasons that the book is so engaging, because apart from the very, very incredible ideas that you mentioned there, there are these stories that grab you. You can open up to any page and look in those shaded areas and read a story, and it's something which can be inspiring even on its, on its own without reading it systematically as well. Although... Of course, one should read it systematically. So let's get into the ideas of the book, too. Sure. Can you please define what you mean by tamim tia imashem alokecha? What is that first method? We're going to go through all five right now. What is that first step in tshuva? Tamimut, uh, or tamimus, um, is translated as, as simplicity, but really comes from, 
you know, a much a much deeper place. Simplicity sometimes means uh, might might imply, um, you know, not deep or uh, you know superficial or you know childish. Um, Tmimut from the Torah, from a Torah perspective, when Hashem tells Avram, tamim. You know, go, go, walk before me. Let's do this together. Let's enter into a great partnership together. Uh, that's going to be wholehearted. Tmimus means wholeheartedness, not not childish, but childlike, meaning the innocence mm-hmm. of a child, the openness, the vulnerability. When a child, or Bezusha says, there are a number of things you can learn from a child. When a child wants something, he, he, he asks for it. <laughs> and if a child hurts, they cry. And if they are happy, they laugh. And if they see something, they point it out. You know, there's a certain disarming honesty and innocence, purity, uh, tmimos, um that children have. And uh, the process of tshuva is kind of uncovering that inner point of, of, of simplicity and honesty, of, 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 of that inner child. That uh, that that's pure and, and clean and good. That sometimes gets jaded and 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 bruised up by life. Uh, the first step in in Reb Zusha's pathway to tshuva is reclaiming tmimus. Is just kind of stripping away, saying like, okay, where have I gotten cynical? Where have I gotten jaded? Where have um, I, I've be- like become too much of a an adult and too formal uh, and scripted? And and how could I reclaim? Something which is spontaneous and and pure and real uh, and wholehearted that integrates all of the emotions that a person has. You know that that uh, sometimes it's not pretty. Also, kids make a mess. Uh, kids make a mess, but but that's what they're that's what they're supposed to do. You know, kids supposed to make a mess in the diaper and they're supposed to cry and get schnotty and 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 and, and uh, be fussy. You know? And that's okay. And I was like to to reclaim that way of not like you know permission to be human, but obligation to be human. And and when we're talking mm-hmm. about a re restarting and refreshing and renewing and and begin again and restoring and tshuva and and, and coming from a, a new place, so to you know go through that that that, that childlike newness uh, and freshness again that uh, that we're all aiming for during uh, the, you know in the process of tshuva. That's tamimas. It's very interesting that he puts that as the first level of tshuva, meaning the first step, because I know that the Ramak for Moshe Cordovero in his classic Tomer Devora mentions the 13 midot of rachamim, the 13 attributes of mercy that we say over and over, Hashem Hashem Kol Racham Hanun, also represented by the Navi Micha. And he says that Mime Kedem, or Vinake, which is the 13th and greatest of all the midot, is that same idea, that underneath all the filth on the outside, there's an innocent child that you once were on the inside. He says that's actually the highest level of tshuva, so it's interesting that Rav Zusha puts it at the very beginning, going all the way to the highest level as the first step. Sof maaseh b'machshava tchila. And I was like, like you stand at home plate and Babe Ruth points to the stands where he, where he sets his intention. This is what I'm aiming toward. In other words, it, it's ironic. Um, some of the greatest tzaddikim and chachamim of our generation, I mean, the biggest, the biggest wise men of our generation, like, um, were described by their students and by their families in at their levayot um, in their eulogies as being people of tamimus. Like for example, I mentioned this in the book. Rav Moshe Lichtenstein Shlita, the, the Rosh Hashivan Haratzion, uh, described his father, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein Zechusio Ganelenu, um, who was, I mean, in ter- I mean, in terms of his mental capacity and intelligence. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not the the arbiter here. I'm not the the judge, but. I mean, I don't know. Few and far between are there who walk the earth in the same generation as us, as Ravar and Lichtenstein, in terms of his his intellectual capacity. But in the end of the day, at his levaya, his son described him as a person of tamimus, hmm. as a person who was just who's tamim. Uh, Rabbi Huda Amital, 
Zatzal, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein's partner. Um, when Rav Amital's uh, self-description, his aspirational description, was to maintain his tamimus. And at the end of his life, um, when he wasn't giving shir uh, in the yeshiva anymore, you know, he had his minion in his house in Yushalayim and with a couple of majits or chasidim that would come daven with him. You know, and he, he, he just, he sat there and said, like, you know, when all is said and done, what, who are we? What are we? If not for our tamimus, if not for our just simple, basic, you know, co- you know, connection to Hashem. And you're talking about intellectual giants who, in you know, through their behavior and their morality and their, 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 their clarity, like this, or almost intuition. Um, toward yeah. toward goodskite, right? Like it's not complicated. Yeah. Like it's not hard. Like Reb Zusha is saying, like tshuva doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's like tie yourselves in knots and get stuck. You know, it's just there's an imagery that I that I like that I, I, I didn't mention there in the book, and you got to save something for volume two. You know, for the second. Netflix but don't say it now then. Nah, it's a t- you know, working. You got to work out the bit. You got to work out the bits. That, so this is version um, one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I think about it always during these Aseret Yimei Tshuva, we invoke the merit of of Akedas Yitzchak, which, I mean, theologically speaking, is I mean, it's complicated. You know, Very complicated. The, 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 the greatest philosophers were, were couldn't wrap their head, you know, couldn't wrap their head around uh, around Akedas Yitzchak. The, the choice, the, the morality, what the Rebona Shalom is asking of, of Avram Avinu, how Avram Avinu cook through it, I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to be a Kantian uh, philosopher to know that it's an existential and moral crisis. And, and, and I agree with you. And I think the puzzling nature of Akedat Yitzchak, the fact that it's fundamentally inexplicable, is reflected in the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah as well. Because at the end of the fifth bracha of Musaf, the bracha of Zichronot, the bracha of remembrances, which is where we explicitly invoke the memory of the Akedah, we say, just as Avraham conquered his mercy in order to do your will, so too may your mercy conquer your anger. And that's not the same thing. It's not really parallel. And I think that just drives home the fact that we all agree the Akeda is really something right, we can't right, understand. Right, correct. Right, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing. It's an entanglement. The way it's described by Reb Nassim Breslover is, is an entanglement. The, the language of the Pasuk here is that Avramovino is in the middle of this, this, this God wrestle, and he looks up and he sees the aisle um, with his horn stuck in the thistle, entangled. Right? I mean, he's ne'achaz besvach bekarnav, right? Like his horn stuck. And that entanglement is is not just a metaphor; it's 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 real. And yet, when we when we remember the akeda, we say we're we're trying to like awaken the merit of the tam, uh, of the one who came with simple faith. Right, of Avram and Yitzchak who went with Tmimut to this uh, to this thing. There's like this incredible dialectic. Tshuva, we get a lot of emotion. We get entangled in a lot of emotions and a lot of a lot of feelings, and um, and we start to think about bechira, choice, and, and we get stuck in our shame, and we get stuck in guilt, and we get stuck in like yidia and bechira, and and there's a great entanglement there where the shofar is is blown to awaken the merit and the memory of the akeda, and the shofar is the most simple, basic. I mean, it's not a French horn. It's not a. It's it, you know. It's it, it's not a clarinet. It's not a. It's just this primal, basic. Get things back to their beginning point, to mimos, to remember the merit of the tam, 
of uh, the Tamimas of Avram and Yitzchak at, uh, at the Akedas. I feel like it's an imagery that I often think about these times. Like sometimes we get like very stuck and caught up. And we have to just like sometimes jolt ourselves at it with a shofar blast of Tamimas. Just Tamim, Tiyeh, and Hashem, Elkech. This is not so complicated. Not so hard. You know, my friend Rabbi Pesach Baliki often points out that the nature of a shofar blast is fascinating. Unlike a French horn or a piano, we don't know what a horn instrument sounded like 200 years ago or 300 years ago. They didn't really have pianos. They had harpsichords. It was different. The sound of the shofar now is, by definition, the same as the sound of the shofar at Harsinai. It, a shofar sounds like a shofar. It is the same instrument. We are listening to the same sound that the first people who ever to hear a shofar heard. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love shofar. Really just I'm go actually, back as a primal I, scream. In your merit, in your merit, because of you and Rav Malamid, I was able to 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 fulfill a life's dream. I don't have a bucket list. Should I have a bucket list? I don't know. The people is that an error? Yeah, you should have a bucket do? list. I think you should. That's a from. Okay. Is that like I think a, it's a good thing? Idea. Is that a from thing? But I'm going to yeah. hit my bucket list fast. Does that mean I'm going to die? I don't want to do that. I don't want to like, Arbevata <laughs> Satan. I don't want enough. You know, maybe I. I don't know. But I have a lot of things. One of the things I wanted to do was to be a Baltokeya. I wanted to be a Baltokeya with your guidance last year, Halacha guidance and Rav Malamed's instructional videos. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Did you successfully some- fulfill the goal? You know, I wasn't able to be Mavatal the Gezer of Corona of Tufshin Pei Aleph, but I'm pretty confident that uh, the Kolos that I blew on Pushkina Street this year in Uman will, uh, God willing, awaken the merit of the Tom and get us out of this uh, this thicket. So, anyways, Amen. thank you for well, that. That's good. Yeah, thank you for that. Let's move on to Shiviti Hashem Lenegditami, the second step in Revzusha's five-part Tshuva methodology. What is it? Shin is Shiviti. Shin is that letter that's on the mezuzah. It's that letter that's on our Tefillin Shel Rosh. Um, whether it's the three-pronged shin or the four-pronged shin, either side of the tefillin representing our imahot and our ravot, we're, uh, we're, we're always before God. Um, it's our identity. It's the core of who we are. Shivisi Hashem l'negi tamid. God is before me always, and I am always before God. In other words, we're seeing each other. There's this, uh, there's this, this constant, it's the introductory paragraph to the Shulchan Aruch, uh, the Ramah says that this is, you know, malas tzadikim. This is this is one of the one of the the levels of the tzadikim is to be aware of God's presence always and our presence before God. And the Vilna Gaon actually adds to that statement of of the Ramah of Moshe Israelis by by saying that it's not one of the important levels, but it's I mean, it's the element of 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 reaching any level of uh, of righteousness is is awareness of God. Yer Shemaim. Reishis Chachma. The beginning of all is just knowing that Hashem is with me. All the time, everywhere, in every situation, wherever I go, and whatever I'm doing, I'm always before God. And that constant awareness constitutes the foundation of, uh, of Shiviti. And that's interesting because it almost builds off, obviously, from Tamim Tiyah. First, you get rid of the schmutz and see yourself as a child. Be yourself. And now, once you are yourself, realize who's looking out at you. Yeah, and, and, and there's, a, there's a great, there's a, there's a lot of strength to be drawn from this. I mean, it's, um, it's always funny, like, you know, how do we feel that Big Brother is watching? I have, a, I have a good friend named Dan Wurzberger who, uh, who who often mentions this as like a mental exercise, and I've and I've done it with groups. Um, it's a great bit. The Mishnah says, "Da malamala mimcha to know what's above us." There's an eye in roah. There's an eye that sees. There's an ear that hears. V'chol ma'asecha b'sefer nechtavim. Right. All of our pretty scary. Are, yeah. Yeah. How does it make you feel? Like, how do you, how does that make you feel? You get paranoid, yeah. Yeah, you get on uh, the incognito search bar on Google. Like, forget that. I don't want anybody look checking my my history. I don't need people looking over my shoulder. And Big Brother is watching. Sa- says Dan, why do we have that negative 
gravitational bias to, to be freaked out by that, to be stressed out. Maybe it means that Hashem is always watching to see the good things that we're doing. That there's times where we have good thoughts and good intentions, and that there's a voice inside of us that says, help the person with their packages. You know, don't pretend like you didn't see them. And there's a voice inside of our head that says, you know, reach out to this person. And I intended to call them and wish them well, and I just didn't get to it. There's an Ozen Shomat that hears that voice. The is not God as a as a traffic cop that's looking to to mess us over and write us up for an infraction everywhere yes, we go. Yes, he has quota of fines, right? Yeah, the is writing down all the good things that we tried, that we wanted, that we intended. Like, what what do we have this like this negative bias that all that everything is the shiviti Hashem is oh oh God's watching not oh oh the Rebbeinu Shalom is watching. That means that Hashem sees me in my good moments, and Hashem sees me in my moments of grace and my moments of success, even when no one else knows about it. Even when like, I can't follow through with it and get the ball over the goal line, the Rebona Shalom saw that I really wanted to this time and really believes it. Maybe the scale doesn't show it, my bank account doesn't show it, maybe my friends and family don't see it, maybe I didn't get that job and I didn't give that shit, but maybe I didn't make it to Mincha, but the Rebona Shalom saw and heard and is keeping track that that was what I wanted to do. That Shivisi Hashem Lenegli as much as, you know, God watching out for our Averas. That's a beautiful idea. Wow, thank you for that. Let's move on to the next one. It was Vehafta Lerecha Kamocha. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, 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 love. It's the, it's, it's everything, everything, every mitzvah, every action, everything we do, Martin Buber said, lives in, in, in the light of this mitzvah, Vehafta Lerecha Kamocha. And the Moor of Hashemesh said it also. Rav Klonimus Kalman Alevi Epstein uh, also said it. But that's that's something in the Balshamta. But that 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 this that description, that feeling of like it's the lens through which all of our Torah observance and, and Yiddish and Yiddishkeit is lived is through Vahafta. It's the golden rule and much more than that. It's the gateway to Avas Hashem. How is it the gateway to Avas Hashem? The Baltani writes that uh, Kamocha, that we often think that our spiritual life um is expressed primarily call it the vertically. <laughs> like between us and God. You think Religion, you think from, we think Yiddishkeit, we think all of a sudden, davening, learning, uh, whatever. Right? We think about things, Avodah Hashem, serving God. Ritual, ritual. Ritual, yeah, we think of serving God in a, in, a, in, a, in a very vertical way. But but we know that we know even the, the narrative of, of these days of Aseris Mitshuva is Yom Kippur is Machaper Lashav. And Yom Kippur does the job itself. Everything between man and God is taken care of. We just show up. The essence of the day does its work. God is hitting the refresh button on the whole thing. You know, the tabula rasa happens between us and Hashem for all of those, all those vertical experiences and expressions, davening, learning, etc., etc. But the Gemara says that Yom Kippur does not atone for infractions between us and friends. That we have to take care of. And those, there's like first things first over here. Vahaftalarecha kamocha. Zeklal Godal Batora is not said about other mitzvahs and Torah. This is the this is the, the the foundational value of Torah. A Torah life, a Torah Jew lives, a Torah true Jew lives with Vahafta Lerecha Kamocha at the forefront before their eyes every single moment. Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi If God is before me always, that means that I have to express that relationship vis a vis people, through people and with people. Because th- 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 that's what we are. We're, we're cut from divine cloth. We're chiseled from a divine block. If I want to serve God, then I have to be in the service of people. I want to respect Hashem, then I have to be respectful of people. I want to love God, then I have to be a lover of people. 
You mean in the sense that people are in God's image and therefore by looking at the other, I see Tzalem Elohim in that other person as well. Yeah, I mean, this is the Yiddishkeit, ABC is of Yiddishkeit. And it's the central, uh, it's the Bria Chatichon, so to speak. It's the central pillar that holds up this whole experience of tshuva is is vahafta recha kamocha. It's like it's like funny. We we, we during these days we we're we're, we're focused on paspalter, meaning eating Jewish bread, and taking on chumras and being very careful. And that's very good. And it's very important. And that's, that's important. That the sages instruct us to do that. And we add davening, we add slichos. We do, and and uh, we're extra careful when it comes to our yirat shemaim. And and that's what we do. And even if we don't, Yom Kippur takes care of that. You know, like built into the system is that it's hardwired. That guys are like, it's okay, you know, good, do that. I need you to do that. But also know that if that, you know, it didn't happen so much to Slichos, you know, it's okay. I mean, just show up, be honest, be sincere, and it takes care of it. But but not so for other people's property and other people's money and other people's reputation and other people's you know, sensitivities and, and feelings like that. That That's the, the avoda of tshuva that has to be primary during these days. And that's what Chazal say. That's frum. Meaning that's that's person who's living with you at Shamayim. Meaning that's how it's prescribed. So v'haftal recha kamocha as a step in, as a necessary step of tshuva. Thank you to Reb Zusha for, for the reminder uh, of what should be, you know, something which is the uh, the context in which we're doing everything. Uh, and, and, and living our lives. A few months ago, I interviewed Rav Yosef Blau, Shlita, and he talked about how we sometimes replace Ehrlichkeit with Frumkeit. And we have to remember Ehrlichkeit, which means this honesty, the sense of loving other people and being good to other people, is the central pillar rather than Frumkeit per se. Right. So I'll say Rabbi Blau, I had the privilege of learning with Rabbi Blau um, for a year and a half at YU. My relationship with Rabbi Blau was actually started very funny. When I was in Shalvim, I, I was told or whatever, I, I read a lot of things, heard a lot of things about the mashkiach. That the role of a mashkiach is, seemed like it was more in my wheelhouse than the role of a Rosh Hashiva. Hard for me to understand the sheer klali, you know, the frontal, top-down, you know, uh, high-level Talmudic discourse. But mm-hmm. the mashkiach who's working on Midos and who's going to, you know, help guide you in your I'm like, okay, that's my wheelhouse. So I walked up to Rabbi Blau. The first day I said, where's the mashkiach? And they pointed me toward Rabbi Blau. And who is not a traditional mashkiach, the way I read about it, and the Magid speaks and the Magid says or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like reading about the mashkiach of Tells 75 years ago. And I showed up there, you know, I'm like waiting for Rabbi Rucham Lovavitz. And uh, and uh, and I asked him a question in Lakutim Oharan from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. And he smiled. He put his arm around me and he and he gave me like this most warm, I have no idea but I could help you find somebody maybe here who can, you know, find And we ended up schmoozing for half an hour like anybody who asks who asks a Rabbi Blau question. Uh, and uh, began a beautiful relationship. He asked me where Makam was. I didn't have a place. He showed me a place to sit in the front right near him. And uh, that was my night seder spot for the next uh, three years. It was like uh, two rows behind, you know, in front of Rabbi Blau. And then my, my year, a year and a half, we learned twice a week. We learned sugyot and halacha together. And he became a real mentor uh, and role model. And um, I used to get him on, on Wednesday nights after he would come from the basin. So I used to get the earful about from Kite and Erlich Kite. And, uh, and the only thing that so I I'm not could exactly say, being Mechadish for you. Oh, no, no. The only thing I could say is that maybe I would just reframe, not you know, in great deference to, to Ray Blau, is that Erlich Kite, from Kite, we have to reframe from Kite. We have to just change our language. I, I, I think we, have to, like, we need to change our language. It's from to help people. It's from to do chesed. It, it, it's from to be nice. 
it's from to help somebody with their packages and it's from to call uh, to reach out to somebody and, and say a good word to them. It's a from lefargain, to, 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 to be generous and give somebody a compliment. That is from. That's not just Erlich. That's called being from. Because we have to like reclaim that language. Like people talk about, we have to reclaim the language of Tikkun Olam and, and, and reintegrate it into the world of, of Yireim, Vishleimim, I'll be, you know, Derech Yisrael, Saba, and the Masorah. Like we have to reclaim the notion of from kind also that, it, you know, being a good person and a Balmidos, that's called being a from, that's called from. Let's move on to part four. Behold Rachecha Da'ehu. Know him in all your ways. Yes. This was my favorite chapter to write. It's expansive. To know God in all your ways means literally all of your ways. Like spending time learning Rishonim and Achronim and Bali Musar and, and Sifrei Chasidus about, about how they interpret this, uh, this instruction. To know God in all of our ways. Um, I mean, it really takes you from the bedroom to the boardroom and everywhere in between. It's about being a Jew in the marketplace, um, in the world of relationships, knowing God uh, in our ups, knowing God in our downs, um, in the base medrash, in the, in the synagogue, and, and everywhere else. Well, what does it mean uh, to know God? I mean, I understand to serve God. But what does it mean to know God in our ups and downs? So da'as, no, the, the language of, of, of da'as, la da'at is, um, is a very charged word. The first place where we have that notion in Torah is actually to know Adam and Eve knowing each other in, in the biblical sense. Literally. In the sexual sense, right. Yeah, I could say that here. It implies not just an intellectual understanding or familiarity, but real chibur, real connection, uh, integration, oneness. And and that's da'at. Uh, in the world of, of um, Chabad philosophy, or in mystical language, um, there are different levels of, of knowledge and ideas. Chachma representing the first, which is like a burst of inspiration, um, an idea in its theoretical sense, an outside sense. But what do I do with this? Like, how do I, how do I handle this, this amorphous concept? Um, bringing it one step closer to it becoming a part of me is through the process of Bina. Bina, lahavin davar mitoch davar, the Gemara says, to contextualize it, to understand what comes before and what comes after, in order to really get it in its components and, and see how I can relate to it. And then da'as is is once I have a little bit of a sense of this and I and I see that it's something that I want. Um, da'as means that th- it becomes integrated. Um, it literally becomes becomes part of me. To know God in all of our ways is not some existential or theoretical, philosophical, outside book knowledge. It's it's real life experience. It's getting in there. It's it's that real. What does that mean? How is that practically? What does that mean in our lives? That means like we have halacha, right? That 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 uh, a lot of halacha is is theoretical, and then we have halacha which is very practical. Um, it's practical. It means. I mean, what do I do in this situation? How do I how do I act? What do I do when this uh, milchik fork uh, gets in the fleshik in the dishwasher and, and and this pot which has been used two days ago for fleshiks has garlic in it with a with a knife that was we have a process that process is not just a theoretical like what do I do but it's how. How do I live with Ratzon Hashem? How do I live with Dveikus at that moment? How do I live? How do I relate to God as a living God? How do I relate to God as something, as a real entity in my life, which is, and, and recognize that th- at this moment, God is breathing life into me. It doesn't have to be meditation. It doesn't have to be through his bodhidus. It doesn't have to be through shachs min or during benching. But it's when I'm at work 
and and not just that I'm not a usurer and that I'm charging ribis, and not that I'm not stealing other people's money, but but do I believe right now in this moment when I'm working on my Google Doc, when I'm sitting here um, in traffic, when I'm on my way to a business trip, or when I'm sitting here waiting for my download, or whatever it may be, do I believe right now that Hashem is with me? Do I believe right now that Hashem believes in, in me? Do I believe right now that I am fulfilling Ratzon Hashem in this mundane, so to speak, quote-unquote, non-holy task? In this, just like brushing of my teeth. Okay, maybe brushing is a bit smart. Okay, fine. Have it not brushing. Cleaning up the house. Okay, maybe there's some aspect there of covered bias or whatever. Putting on my shoes. You know, doing my exercise. Um, just walking somewhere, you know, doing what I'm doing, being a mensch in Welt, being a human being in the world. Can I believe that that's meaningful in and of itself? The answer is, means, according to Arishonim and Achronim and the, and the Jewish thought leaders throughout the generations, yes, God put us in this world as human beings to live as human beings. And being a mensch, being a human being in this world, in the most expansive way, living with God consciousness is a step toward cultivating dveikus and recognizing God in the most mundane, basic, human, non-base medrash, non-frontal, non-ritual, non-mitzvah-specific moments, that's called all of our ways. And that, that that's expansive. That's la Hashem ha'aretz umuloo. Everything in this world is godliness and, and everything in this world is an opportunity to draw close to. And how is this different than the second step, shiviti, I place God before me always. How is this a different type of process? So Shiviti also implies, um, according to Baal Shem Tov, the same word of the word is Hishtavus, Hishtavut, equanimity, which is kind of like recognizing that God is not just governing the world, but really running the world around me, that everything in this world is happening for reason and everything in this world is happening through God. Um, and therefore my actions have to reflect that recognition that like I'm here on God's, you know, on God's terms. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in his house. So, you know, he's the balabai, mm-hmm. so to speak. So I have to respect his way of being in the world. Um, means that I can acquire a relationship with him and become close to him. And that it could be meaningful and enjoyable and conscious through engaging the Rebona Shalom in all of my activities. So it's not just like that sign that says, you know, you walk into shul, you know, know before whom you stand. Right, know before whom you stand. It's not just like a theoretical awareness that I am before God. Behold, the is okay. Now, what do I do about it? Now, what do I do about it? That's the way I understand. That's the way I understand it. It sounds to me almost, if I can offer this, that we obviously relate to God sometimes as a parent and sometimes as a spouse. And perhaps Shiviti Hashem, the way you're describing it now, is looking at God more as a parent, a boss, the king, the one who's always there and. Know who's above you? He's in charge. And then, again, using that term as intimacy, representing this idea of we can be intimate, we can have a special relationship with God. It's a different kind. It's actually the procession and progression from one to the other. Love that. I love that idea. Thank you. That's beautiful. Let's move on to the fifth step, which is walk humbly or modestly with your God. What does this mean? It's neut. There's a lot of different definitions there. The, That's a loaded I, word yeah, these days. Sniut. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful word. It's it's a it's a beautiful word, and, and, and we have to reclaim the real chain, the real grace and beauty um, of that word. What it means to to cultivate an inner world. What it means to to define ourselves inside out. Um, 
to live with that with that mida of tzniut in thought, in speech, uh, in action, uh, in consciousness, in, in dress, and in behavior, but primarily in the way we see ourselves uh, in our relationship, between us and Hashem. You know, everything, the more special something is, the more private it is. You know, like the more it's 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 something which I mean, I'm on social media. I mean, we're we're, we're talking, we're doing podcasts, we're we're out there. We're living at a time of, of, of real openness, of real sharing, and of real, you know, publicizing things which never were public before. I mean, you're, you, you're speaking with great care and intention about very private things uh, in a very open way, in ways that, that rabbis and teachers and guides didn't in, in generations past. And as a, it seems to me as a reaction, appropriately so, to a generation which everything's on the table and everything's out there. And, but when everything's out there, it requires us or demands of us or presents the opportunity for us, I should say probably a little bit more more appropriately, to also be aware of like, you know, what that there are certain things that, that, that we have to do behind closed doors, not not just talking about the way we dress and the way we act, but but for ourselves to carve out personal, real, internal space. Um, and that's what Sni'ut is. And there's a reason why in Chazal they refer to the Tznuim as people who are extra careful with mitzvahs, people who like went above and beyond. And I don't know. I mean, there's so much out there in the world. There's so much to learn, Rabbi, all this farm in the library, you know, as Uncle Moshe sings, sings so beautifully. Uh, I, I obviously haven't even scratched the surface in Jewish knowledge, but it seems to me that there are very few who have expressed this midah as beautifully as Rabbi Lamb of blessed memory. Uh, he writes so beautifully um, about Sneas. Um, and draws from Rav Salvechik and, 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 and others. And he just describes the glory of creating an inner world, of cultivating privacy, of having something with someone that's special, that's, uh, that's unique. That, that, and that's Kedusha. Kedusha, that exclusivity um, in holiness that exists between people. Obviously, the most, the most accessible uh, metaphor is between partners, uh, between lovers, cultivating you know a, a world of intimacy that, that that that's private and real that's called Kodesh Hakadoshim, the world of Yichud, the world of Shira Shirim, that takes place in a lifnaiv lifnim, so to speak. I mean, the way that the Navi describes the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy of Holies, is Cheder Hamitot. But that 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 intimacy can is is, is an algorithm which exists in in every relationship between a, a person and Hashem, between friends, between a teacher and a student. Between a rebbe and a chassid, between a mentor and and someone that they're working with, between between uh, in, in a community, and as much as everything has an outside in the world, everything in this world also has an inside, and every relationship has that part, which like you know the iceberg imagery that which be- exists beneath you know beneath the surface down below, and that uh, that's really where the essence of it is. That's where the most of it is. That's where the most of me really is, and uh, tzniyus allows us. Or kind of makes us aware of the importance of, of working on that and, and being conscious of focusing on on, on cultivating a world that uh, that runs deep, that runs deep and runs private. I think what people often forget is that by revealing that which is tanua, that which is underneath, they're not just saying something which should remain private, but they're fundamentally altering it in a negative way. You can't express it. By trying to express that which is inexpressible, you cheapen it. And I don't think people often realize that. Yeah, uh, this was actually the hardest chapter chapter to write. This took me a really, really long time, and I davened over this, Peric, a lot. I davened over. I'm not meaning the whole thing here is push and product, 
but but this is, I think, probably the parag- the chapter I'm most proud of because it's the one that was hardest for me. In what sense? Why was it so hard? Not that I'm so oiska uh, arbit with the Shavisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit, but I explained it enough about uh, about you know uh, equanimity. You know, it's aspirational, but sniuta something which is really hard. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a gregarious person. I'm a, I'm a people person. You know, I like being out there. Sometimes a little uh-huh. too much. Sometimes a little too much. And over the years, and we've spoken about this on the, you know, on the steps between both of our houses, you know, how we, we grow and we change and we develop and, and we're, in, we're in process and in movement and person has different needs. And I feel like over the past number of years, a thirst for, for privacy and a yearning for just being home and, and being alone and cultivating an alone time with Hashem and, and, and doing that practice of spending time Know, trying every day, but at least you know every couple of days, really spending time talking to Hashem privately, and and spending time also with, with my wife privately, much more than than we did in the early years of our marriage. Ironically, has really been probably the most important step in uh, in tshuva. So so writing it and expressing it in words without sounding like annoying about sneers. You, know, you don't want to be that guy. Writing. Oh, yeah, right. I guess Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky used to say that you know it's good to talk about you know talk about sneers in a tsanua way. Also, you know, and necessarily <laughs> right away, you're talking about sneers. It's already not so tzadua. So you know, I definitely don't want to be that point. guy. I don't want to be that guy. But but for me, it was a real a real process. I mean, I, 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 the, the parts of this parak I really cried over, especially some of the words, the way Rav Salvechik describes, you know, the inner sanctum of the Beis Hamikdash and what a person, what the Kohen Gadol, and we were here right before Yom Kippur, what the Kohen Gadol experiences on behalf of Klai Yisrael, you know, the, the muscle that he flexes of real inner working, lifnaiv lifnim, and how every single one of us are have that lifnaiv lifnim place, and it's just, can we believe that we deserve to go into that place, you know? And and the privacy of, of, of going into that place, you know? I think Yishai Rebo's recent, uh, came out a couple of years ago, his song about the avoda of the Kohen Gadol, somehow the music and the words themselves, obviously the words are primarily the words from Musaf and Yom Kippur, but some of them are his own, they express that idea, that privacy, that intimacy that he would have on his own behalf and on behalf of the people for God. I think that song itself kind of reflects the idea you're mentioning right now, that special going into the Kodesh Kodesh and feeling private with God. Yeah, and, and believing that that all the all the adjectives and superlatives, let's say all the beautiful ways that we describe the coin guttle with the rainbow and the, like a chassan and shining, is talking about me. It's talking about you. It's talking about every single one of us. When we when we f- access that inner point of lifnai v'lifnim, of of that going back to that childlike purity, innocence, simplicity, tamimus, and to know that God is always with with me, and that my relationship with God is is one of love, and people that this world is a world of, of of love, and that it's expansive, and that everything I'm doing, Hashem, I'm with Hashem all the time. Then I can get to tzniyos, I can get to hatznei and I can go into the most private place, and I can see that that in that kodesh hakodashim that there's a that there's a that there's an aron. And in the Aron, there's broken luchos. That every single one of us has that place of broken luchos inside. And you don't have to open it. I just know that it's there, and Hashem knows that it's there, and everybody knows that it's there, and it's there. And we don't open it. Otherwise, you know, Indiana Jones, you melt, you know, everybody's faces right. melt <laughs> off. It's no good. Certain places we don't open up. Even with ourselves, we don't have to. We just know that it's there, and we own it, and it's 
we integrate it and it's part of our story and it's part of our life and it's holy of holies and that's Ashrei Ha'am Shekachalo Ashrei Ha'am Shashem Elokov not just talking about the Kohen Gadol then there in the temple but but me and you and us here and now in Yom Kippur and anytime we open up that place inside of us Kono, when we talk to Hashem honestly real that's walking with God in a, in a very tzanua private way and there's nothing more beautiful and empowering than that then let me ask about that, because what you're saying, it's so powerful and so beautiful. You talk about that, those broken luchot that we can't open, and we should leave them aside. A lot of what you describe in your description of the process of tshuva is accentuating the positive, thinking of the ways we can look at Hashem in a, in a very positive self-image. But of course, tshuva also includes, the Rambam tells us, an aspect of charata, an aspect of regretting what one did in the past. How do I combine and merge those two ideas that I don't want to get depressed, but by having no charata, I'm missing a key part of what tshuva is supposed to be about? You're supposed to regret what you did. Yeah, of course. I mean, who, yeah, anybody who's in a relationship with a significant other, um, parent, friend, whatever, teammate, uh, spouse, child who's hurt that person, inadvertently or you know whatever sometimes you know we, <laughs> we all know love hurts you regret it um but anybody who's in that type of space of of kesher of chibur of relationship knows that there's nothing more empowering powerful and real and beautiful and and uplifting and joyful than taking responsibility for that and owning it and apologizing for it wholeheartedly sincerely ad hasof all in like really apologizing and knowing, you know, or, or believing that the, 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 the other person at the other end of that apology is going to accept it and accept me or us is, is something which is just, I mean, what an embrace, what, a, what an uplift, what simcha. It hurts. Lo naim. Lo naim. But to be aware of it, to, to own it, to re- and of course you regret it. How could I not regret it? Uh, and and to apologize and to own it, achrayu to take responsibility. And vayomer adonai salachti kedvarecha. Hashem says, I forgive. Just to show up and and do it for real. The end is already written, right? Like we hope that that our relationships are healthy enough and strong enough that we that that's built into that. There's going to be disappointments and falling short and making mistakes. That's just part of it. But we also hope that there's built into it the, the currency of trust and respect and love that we can make right, but it just requires some real honesty and real sincerity and real openness called vulnerability. And you know, regret is part of that. And regret is part of that. And uh, But not to wallow in it. Now, I, I, I just recently thought about this, is that when we apologize and we own it and we're forgiven and we move on, we have to move on. You have to move on. To come back to it and wallow in it and revisit it and revisit it, it's not respectful of the person. Hashem says, I forgive you. I says, just move on. Let's move on. Okay, I know. You know what happened. I know what happened. You apologized. We forgave each other. Rav Steinzeltz points out, you know, that the laws of physics are when, a, when a, a cord or a rope can hold a certain capacity for weight, tension, and when it tears and it's retied and it's reconnected, it can hold more. Now, I don't know how that works in physics, but that's the way he explains it. That's what tshuva is. When we retie the bond that's been severed, it's a deeper capacity for connection and for love and for making up and for intimacy and for closeness. And uh, and part of that process, healthy and appropriate, normal, is regret. I feel bad. My bad. I'm sorry. You know, I have to really feel bad about it. But not to wallow in that and spin wheels in that uh, because that takes away from the trust 
uh, and and from the 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 from the context of the relationship, which is, you know, we love each other and and we believe in each other and we're doing this together. We're baderach together. We were in process together. So it's okay, but let's let's learn from this and go weiter. You're talking about that sense of understanding that mistakes are built into the system, that in a relationship, there are going to be moments when we disappoint each other. Obviously, that's important. And that actually reminds me of something which you said towards the beginning of the book. You talk about how sometimes people... Their problem is they want to be a tzaddik for their whole lives, and they don't believe they're going to be a tzaddik every single day. I don't really believe that I'm going to do everything right for the next X number of years. But you say, why can't a person say, fine, let me at least be a tzaddik for the next minute and a half. Let me take the next two minutes, and I'll be a tzaddik then. That I can do. And to have these smaller bites, to have these smaller goals at time, doesn't mean we shouldn't have larger goals also. But that leads me to a dilemma I've had myself, actually. And I'll mention my grandfather, Lava Shalom, used to always say the most important day to go to shul, I'm sure you've heard this, is the day after Yom Kippur, the next morning, because you want to show that it had, it had an effect on you, so get to shul early the next day. And in fact, there is a minhag, some shul start shul a bit earlier the day after Yom Kipper. I once read, however, this is not my grandfather, I once read someone say that if you show up to shul five minutes earlier the day after Yom Kippur, then the entire effort was worth it. If that's all that you got on Yom Kippur, is that you show up to shul five minutes earlier the day after Yom Kippur, all of Yom Kippur was worth it. On the one hand, that's a very nice idea, but on the other hand, my visceral reaction is, that's ridiculous. That's all you want from yourself? That's all you expect? I mean, here you are, you fasted for the past 25 hours, and you, you show up to school five minutes early and that's acceptable? You should be striving to be amazing. You should be striving to something much, much greater than that. And if we allow ourselves to say, oh, if I could be a tzaddik for a couple minutes, the whole thing is worth it. Well, on the one hand, that's nice. But on the other hand, that's selling yourself short. It's a question of methodology, I think, right? Like we all want, you all, everybody wants, we all want to get the ball over the goal line. In the end of the day, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to just learn one line of Torah. I want, I want to know all of Torah. I want to be a Talmud Chacham. I haven't given up on that yet. You know, I'm, I I I want to know shas. I want to know what to do in every situation that I'm in. What rotsan Hashem is, I have to learn all of halach. Okay, so I'm trying. I'm working on it. But how do I get there? Like, how does that happen? How does it? How do I lose that weight? Is it going to be sitting there, you know, berating myself for uh, you know running a line of Oreos and and whatever it might be, or berating myself for where I went wrong? Is it going to be by saying right now I'm going to lose twenty pounds? And this is my this is my the next month I'm going to lose twenty pounds. Or there's methodologies, there's different ways of going about it, of, of writing down all the things that I ate every day that, that were wrong. And uh, there's another methodology, another system, which is which is saying, okay, right now <laughs> I have a choice to do A or B, and I want to choose the right choice right now. And I'm not thinking about what you know how I'm going to get to 20. I'm thinking about how I'm going to get to one. I'm not thinking about you know what happened yesterday was yesterday. What happened? What I have right now in front of me is is, is the only choice I have to make right now is right now. And I don't I don't think like oh I only I want to lose half a pound. No, I want to lose twenty. I don't want to learn one Mishnah. I want to learn all of Mishnahis. But how am I going to learn all of Shas Mishnahis? How am I going to be fit and healthy? You know, all the time. It's just a question of how we how we break it down and how we and how we frame it. And and I, I found. That um, that people often look at um, the way that you know, certain tzaddikim are, are framing growth and helping us, helping encourage us, like Rabbi Nachman, that a little bit is also good. 
You know, say, okay, a little bit's also good, but come on, do me a favor. You're cutting yourself short. You have $250,000 of Jewish education, you know, uh, K through, you know, uh, through through YU. What's the matter with you? you open up a Gemara, learn Night Seder. What's the matter with you? Come on, you lose. You know, come on. When I was in Shana Bet, I sat in an Ian Shear. When I was in, you know, when I was in college, so I, I, you know, I did Chazar at night. I, 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 now you tell me I should just open up a Chumash and learn one one Pasuk and, and with, with, with Chumash and Rashi? You feel like a loser. You feel like, come on, I'm, uh, it's defeatist and it's also cutting ourselves, selling ourselves short. And I found that the opposite has been true in my life. Is that when I have three minutes before Hadlakas Neros and I'm ready and I'm wearing my Shabbos clothes and I'm standing there and it's Erev Shabbos Shuva, Nitzavim, and I have not opened up the Parsha. Uh, a Parsha that's not hard to do Shnai Mirka for. It's short Parsha, short Rashis, but I didn't even open it. So I have a choice in front of me right now. I could say, no, I, 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 X, Y, Z, you know, I should be learning Shlomik, uh, or I could open it up and learn Tupsukim with Rashi and feel good about that and say, yeah, this is Torah Sashem Tamima. Yeah, this Torah, the Nefesh Chaim says, I've sustained this world and the upper worlds. Yeah, I've built myself and I've taken a step toward being being a bigger person. And feel good about that, as opposed to feeling a loser about that. Is it going to encourage me to want to do more or encourage me to want to do less? And I found that accentuating the positive and believing in a little bit and and saying five minutes early to davening is, is, is a real thing. I can't come five minutes early to davening tomorrow. I can come five minutes early to davening like to Mincha today. I can't, I, I, that's the only thing that I have to choose right now. I can't come five minutes early to davening the rest of the year right now. So it's just a question of how we frame it and how we understand it. But but to believe in a little bit and to believe in an in incremental growth, it's not just Bill Parcells winning, uh, you know, the, that your Bill Belichick stole from him. But it, 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 <laughs> sorry, it's a New York, New England thing. But it's but it's really al derech tzaddikim. The or of that tzaddikim is to know that that a path is traversed step by step. I'm still having a hard time getting by the fact that you're ready three minutes before I had Lagos on Friday night because I don't remember that ever happening to me. That to me is the, is the, uh, okay. the impressive Okay, uh, Ora asked special the first Shabbos of the year that that she wants to light Yushalayim time and uh, and I'm just barely managed. I was, you know, just barely managed. Also, I just came back from it, Uman. It's very, like, impressive. It's very the impressive. The 48 <laughs> hours after you come back from Uman, I'm yelling tov, I'm yelling tov, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have much time left. I want to ask a couple things though. You use Hasidic thought more than any other, I'd say, branch of Judaism or hashkafa of Judaism as the really the basis of where you're coming from in here. Obviously, Rav Zusha himself is one of the classic great Hasidic masters. What do you find in Hasidic thought that makes it so rich for this kind of endeavor? Um, it's where I'm at, meaning it's what I'm comfortable with. It's where, it's where I'm most comfortable. But anybody who do me the honor of, of, of looking through the book will see that it's, it's, not, it's not just Hasidus. It's, uh, oh, for sure not. It's not it's I mean, not that's the uh, the Baruchat Tichon, though. That's the central yeah, the central yeah. beam that holds it all together. I think. I, yeah, I I, fa- I, f- I find myself uh, at home among the spiritual fellowship of uh, the students of the Baal Shem Tov. Can I say? I, I I feel very at home and very comfortable there. Um, I mean, it sounds funny to say, but they're the most welcoming. I mean, they're the ones who've said, you know, you know, you have a place here. You know, you're Yeshchamakom. Like you know, be a part of it. Even if you're a, even if you're not a Talmud Chacham, and even if you're not you know complete, and if you're not whole, and even if you know you're not somebody who's learned all over Ben Yona, this Elul, you can find your place over here. There's a language of empowerment. 
as a language of, of accessibility to godliness, to very high ideas. I mean, we're talking about these, the, the tzaddikim, you know, are, are, are being, let's call, the word that's used are being poel be'elyonim, and their, their activity is in the highest places in the upper worlds, with two feet on the ground for the every man, for the every woman, for, for the every child. And um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thought that relates to these days that uh, I saw in the name of the Shem Shmuel. Um, Shem Shmuel of Sachachov explains, that you know we're standing on this day, Rosh Hashanah, you know during these high holy days, us, you know, all of us before God, and then goes to describe the heads of the tribes, the the leaders, the elderly, the children, women, woodchoppers, water schleppers, and he explains that each of these are descriptive elements of our own personality. Um, there's a part of me that's wise and old and inexperienced, and a part of me that's just totally inexperienced and doesn't know. Every person has a male side and a feminine side. Um, there's parts of us that are more, let's say, giving, and we can go with the flow, like water schleppers, and there are those of us who are a little bit more din-oriented, measured, um, and gvura-oriented, like, you know, chopping wood. But we're invited, so to speak, to stand before God, kulchem, with our entire selves before God. That that language of of um, of acceptance, I I have found in uh, in Hasidus. the language of bringing our whole selves, our complete selves, every element of our pers- personalities and experience, um, and turning all of those mistakes and all of those averos uh, into zchuyot through tshuva me'ava, the language of the students of the Baal Shem Tov, and and I think that that's what's carrying in our that's what's trending, so to speak, in the generation, you know, for 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 good reason. So uh, for me, it was an access point. That um, is an access point. If you had to say one, what is the single most important message you want people to assimilate as they go through the book, as they move forward into Yom Kippur and into the year following? It's the the, the, the bottom line that Hashem tells us as we're going into exile. The last message of the, all the prophets is, Ahavti Eschem Amar Hashem. Hashem says, just listen to what God says. Just listen to what the Bali Musaf say, what the, the Siddish Svarim say, what the Rambam says. Rambam is Machmir, Ben Yon is Mekil and Shuvah, whatever. Just listen to what God says. Hashem says two things. Vayomer Adonai, Salachti Kidvarecha. According to your word, forgive yourselves, I forgive you. <laughs> Believe in this process. Believe in the bottom line here, Salachti Kidvarecha. That's the bottom line of Yom Kippur. The bottom line of our lives, of our of this exile that we're in, that uh, is the last generation of exile and the first generation of redemption that we're in this this crazy time of, of transition. Ahavti eschem amar Hashem. Hashem says, I love you. Believe in that relationship. Believe in that chibur, in that kesher, and let everything that we do and don't do live in that light. If that's the parchment that we're writing this story on, if this is the canvas that we're painting the picture of, of our lives on, uh, that, that the process that we're engaged in of, of tikkun and growth and striving is in the context of then uh, I believe that uh, we're all going to live a, a very happily ever after. Amen. Rav Judah, the fact that you wrote this book and that I've been fortunate enough to have it over here reading it, you saw me yesterday on Shabbos carrying the book home from <laughs> Shul, and it's, it has really enhanced my sorry, my tshuva, and I'm sure we'll continue to enhance them as we go into Yom Kippur. And it's certainly true for everybody reading it. I know it's a bestseller. I think you already said the first printing's already already finished. Isn't that right? Yeah, Baruch Hashem. I think uh, it came at the right time. It was the, the, it was good timing.
That's for sure. I thank you personally. You're always an inspiring person to talk to, and I'm honored to be friends with you. And I really hope that people read the book by Derek. It's fantastic. So thank you for joining me today. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Good things for you and for your family, for all of us. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in Orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest Orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.